Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Keller, and today we're joined by Jennifer Burks, who has a love of social media marketing and is a true storyteller if you follow her. But technically, she is in the business of military transition assistance. So she's an expert on personal branding. She does animated marketing, career coaching, fantastic at networking and social media optimization. So currently she's a mentor and supports marketing as a volunteer at Vets to Industry. But today we're actually going to discuss ghosting, better offers, unfilled billets, and how recruiters can combat today's staffing challenges. So while she works with, as a mentor with folks transitioning out of the military, she has gained some insights that may be able to help our cleared recruiters. So Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me, Katie. Supporting veterans obtaining employment through your work. Tell me a little bit about where that passion comes from. So my uh, service member's transition was really easy for him. Uh, he's, he's very, very lucky that he transitioned from the Army after 22 years into a role and a culture that really supports the military community and military culture. So it was pretty seamless for him. But my transition was not the same. In my first role after separation, there, there was no one else there that understood military culture, military spouses. Um, they didn't ex- understand my experiences. My leadership actually went so far as to tell me to stop using 24-hour time, hmm. saying that they knew that that's what I was used to, but not everybody understood it. So they, they weren't even willing to make a, a very small accommodation for me and for my culture. So when I pivoted from that role to to a new career, I really reflected on that thinking, you know, about how much we really sacrifice in transition. So when I came into transition, I decided that there is enough stress that service members and spouses go through that I would never be the one to add more stress. So my brand was kind of born from that, that I wanted to be the person who would make their life easier, not more stressful. It's great the amount of resources that service members have, but it's so much to sift through. There's so much noise online. Absolutely. So that's part of my role. I, I meet with a lot of people like you, and I vet the resources, figuring out, you know, from my point of view as a military spouse, how would I use this resource? From my husband's point of view, how would he use it as a service member? I ask people about their experiences with it. And when I come across a resource that I feel is really valuable, unique, and I have a really stellar point of contact, I put that into my transition packets for my veterans, my TSMs, and my spouses. I have three different packets. And that point of contact is so important because instead of just saying, go to this website, I can actually send them to a warm body where they can talk to someone and ask questions. Because like you said, it is really overwhelming. We call it the sea of goodwill. And some people start drowning in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. Well, so you chat you know, with those three categories you chat with a ton of candidates. 
or who, you know, would be candidates like on clearancejobs.com. So I'm sure that you've gained some insights on to issues in today's recruiting environment. And so sort of switching perspectives a little bit, how can recruiters better reach some of those candidates and in today's market, a lot of passive veteran talent? Well, in my opinion, it's all about building relationships. So I tell my clients to build relationships with recruiters and they almost always are confused about how to do that. They feel like it's wrong to reach out to a recruiter because, you know, in their mind, they know they're looking for something, right? And one of the first things we tell people is don't reach out with an ask right away. So coming back to building relationships, the recruiter needs to be really approachable, uh, really engaging. The talent needs to know that they can reach out to them just to talk just to talk about their journey or their transition, because most of the recruiters that are in the space do have some tie to the, the military. But even if they don't, they could still talk about their, their journey to being whatever kind of recruiter they are. They, they, need to be, they need to be branding themselves as well. So the best recruiters I've seen are out there on social media talking about not only what their company offers, but about what they in particular are about. People know that they can go to them, ask questions, have a conversation without feeling guilty or pressured. On the other side, you know, I tell my clients to, to realize that they are offering a lot to the recruiter, even if they are not the right candidate, they have the pipeline of the service members and spouses that the recruiter is trying to get to. And I think if that were, if that message were a little more, a little louder, I guess, if it wasn't just coming from me, if they were hearing that from recruiters as well, you know, this is what I'm looking for. This is how you can reach out with that offer before that ask, because that's really what my clients are looking for. How do I offer them something if I'm not looking for what they're recruiting? No, absolutely. Well, and you make a great point. Recruiters really need to be approachable. I know that when you're in the thick of 30 to 40 requisitions, it's really tough to respond to DMs or respond to asks from service members if it doesn't serve something that you need a candidate for right at that moment. But you really, in building those relationships, you need to be open to having those just networking conversations. I know when I was recruiting, I, I built out in my schedule a chunk of time just for that because it is important in building pipelines, certainly. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, along those same lines, go where the service members are. So build out time to go to the the really well-received networking events. Obviously, I'm gonna, going to talk about V2I. I love our networking events mm-hmm. because... You never walk into a room that is empty, you know, uh, in a lot of networking events, you go to a room and there's no one there. There's no recruiter there. You've scheduled an appointment. And there's no one there. Events to industry, when you go to a room, it's full of other advocates, other service members, recruiters, hiring managers, and you have an opportunity to speak directly to them. And that's just a couple of hours a month. But the recruiters that come to our events really establish great relationships and a great rapport with the entire community. I know I can go to them 
even if I'm looking for a recruiter in something else, because I know they all know each other, right? And I know they're going to help me out. And I know that I can send my clients to them also because they're not going to get crickets. They're going to get a response. And, and I completely agree with you. I know it's a lot of work and I know they have a lot of billets on, on their plate, but it makes such a big difference if you can build those relationships, even if you build them that way in mass, you know, with like 500 people at a time at a networking event. Absolutely. So one of the biggest issues, I know recently there was a study, I believe it was the Brazen app that put it out. Ghosting is, you know, obviously one of the biggest problems that recruiters run into, but apparently it's, you know, getting to that number one spot of some of the obstacles uh, on the recruiting list. So have you heard any stories from candidates on, you know, why they may ghost their recruiters or kind of what happens there and maybe how recruiters could prevent it? So most of the stories I hear from my candidates are about them being ghosted by recruiters. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's not very common that people come to me and go, oh yeah, a recruiter reached out to me and, you know, I just decided not to talk to them. However, I have heard a couple things and I can tell you from my own personal experience, I would be tempted to ghost a recruiter who either kept me waiting for weeks on end with no communication, right? So again, that comes back to relationships, gave me bad information, reached out to me with a message that sounded like it was written by a bot. Mm -hmm. Uh, I actually talked to a, a sourcing buddy of mine and he was talking about these messages on LinkedIn. I said, oh my gosh, those are real messages that get sent out because I thought they were written by a bot. They're so impersonal and they're so dry. So I talked to my clients about that as well. And they felt the same way that these messages, they didn't think they were real. They thought they were some kind of spam. So recruiters may be ghosted a lot by that if they're not crafting a message that has at least something personal, some evidence that you've looked at my profile, that you know a little bit about me and you're actually wanting to talk to me, not that you've sent this to 400 other people. I also, you know, people might ghost if they're not comfortable with their recruiter. Again, coming back to uh, relationships, if they're really worried about telling someone no, it's hard to tell people no. And if you're not already comfortable with your with your recruiter and you know that your recruiter is going to support your decision and still want to keep in contact with you, you might just take the easy way out and just stop talking to them. Like in a relationship, right? You want to break up with someone and it's awkward. So you just stop calling. Sure. I mean, it may just be in the recruiter's best interest to say, Hey, you know, I haven't heard from you. If it's a no, totally cool. But is it okay if I keep you on my pipeline list? Exactly. Oh, and actually that's another thing. Virtually every service member I talk to has never heard of a pipeline. So I've started talking to mine about pipelines and why, you know, they need to develop those relationships with recruiters and what happens when, when they develop that relationship, they send in an application, a resume, whatever. And if it's not right, it still goes into the recruiter's pipeline. They've never heard of this because it doesn't exist in the service. So if a recruiter is looking for a way to maybe start their brand on social media, that might be a really good first step. Put it out there, how their pipeline works and what really happens when they reach out to a recruiter and they start that relationship. Service members had no idea that this is the reason you start talking to recruiters a year, two years out. 
they think they shouldn't start talking to them until about six months. So I guess, you know, I do ask a lot of folks this question and because it gets asked of me whenever I'm out in the community or at a networking event or a job fair. What is your recommendation for service members to be reaching out to recruiters? I mean, not even formally applying, but just starting those conversations. So I always recommend that they know something about the recruiter first, right? The recruiter, first and foremost, is a human, and they want to be treated as a human. Look at their profile. Pay attention to their content. Just like you would reach out to anyone else, any other contact, find something in common. You're both Marines. You're both soldiers. You you both come from Chicago. You both have a love of, I don't know, Tom Clancy novels. Find something in their profile or their content to show, just like with the recruiters, that you have taken a personal interest in the person you're reaching out to. So when you send a connection request or an in-mail, whatever you're doing, make sure it's personalized. I saw you post blank. I thought this was really interesting. I took this, this, and this from it. I'd love to connect with you. Let me know if there's anyone in my network you'd like an introduction to. So that's a compliment, an obvious I've paid attention to you and I'm you know, treating you as a, a valuable connection, but I'm treating you as a human. And I'm offering you something way before I'm asking for anything. Yes, and it, similarly, it goes to, you know, same way for recruiters. So great, great tidbits on making the connection and sort of how to start that. So job descriptions. I know recently at Clearance Jobs, we've written a lot about sort of the red flags that recruiters can avoid posting. And so I know that one big one is omitting pay information or overdoing, you know, the the must-have requirements. So what are your thoughts there, Jennifer? So I completely agree. The omitting pay is not just frustrating. I wonder as, you know, I'm looking at job descriptions, do I send this to my client? Am I wasting their time? If they apply, are they wasting the recruiter's time, right? If, if your need or your skill level is higher or lower, you might be wasting someone's time and they certainly might be wasting your time. So that's really frustrating. Plus it automatically puts the candidate in a position that they feel like they're in a, like a battle, right? That question of what are your salary requirements? People hate that question, but if they already know the role is paying between 70 and 80,000, then they know what range they can get. They know, they feel comfortable. I can give a range here. Otherwise they might say nothing or they might just not apply. I also agree about the, the requirements and the way the job description is written. So when service members take the oath and go to basic training, they spend anywhere from six to 12 weeks, I believe, depending on the branch, basically losing themselves, entering a new culture, entering a new way of of living and become a service member. That takes a long time, you know, it could take 12 weeks, but then they spend years being that service member. In transition, we give them a one-week TAP class in which they get so much information they feel like they're being bombarded and they don't retain most of it. And then they're expected to assimilate to a new culture and a new language immediately. The job description is no different. It doesn't read the way a service member would read about their skills. 
So it requires translation right away. It's very frustrating. We need to be writing these job descriptions that align with the service member skills. They know what skills they have in their MOS and in their experience. They need to be reading that on the job description, not having to translate their military experience into corporate. I know that's something eventually they have to do, but we ask them to do that way too soon. Sure. Yeah, help be a part of the military transition in a sense. And yeah, I know that it's also frustrating to me when I see companies that are just copying and pasting things from the statement of work and not really talking about like the company culture or even just, you know, nitty gritty of what the team is going to be doing. It's very, you know, minimum requirements. So I feel like that also prevents some folks from applying. Absolutely. I agree. I think that comes back to branding, right? So the company should be putting out their personal brand, but they should also be authorizing their employees to be brand ambassadors. This is something that is really powerful. So many companies are very protective of their brand, which I understand, but they're missing out on their marketing and their recruiting opportunities by not empowering their employees to do that. So if they're not branding themselves, they're not allowing their employees to be brand ambassadors, the service member is left to wonder about the culture, right? I worked in a place where you really weren't supposed to talk to people outside the company. The culture was incredibly toxic. And to this day, the people that work there, they don't talk to people outside the company. So when you can't find information like that about the company or about what the day-to-day is, like you said, if you can't find the information about the mission, you're going to have a really hard time getting buy-in from service members. Absolutely. So pulling on the uh, must-haves thread for job descriptions and kind of overdoing some of those requirements, you know, you need, you need, all candidates need to have all of these things that make unicorn candidates, you know, should apply. And like those people don't exist sometimes. So are companies being too strict on the, you know, finding the ideal candidate? And I mean, obviously being less strict would open up a diverse talent pool, but could, what are your thoughts there? Yes. I think that if you were less strict and you wrote a job description that didn't require translating, you would get a much more diverse pool. For instance, I might get the statistics wrong, but I believe most females will not apply to a role if they don't have 80% or more of the bullets marked off, right? Whereas males, if they have 50, they generally will. So immediately that's reducing your diverse talent pool. Your service members are going to be the same thing. They're going to gravitate towards the names that they know and the federal government right? Because they see the names on commercials and their buddies are going there and the federal government, well, it's the federal government. They already work for the federal government. So that seems like a, a, an easy jump. So many companies out there offer an amazing culture and an amazing experience for service members, but they're not making it easy for the service member to understand. So yes, making the requirements a little less, but definitely easier to read. So, so almost like when you go into an interview, they ask you a question, an open-ended question that you can answer. They don't read from the job description in a, 
in a language that nobody speaks like that. So instead of the job description reading, like it reads like Greek to me and it's my job to read them. Just say, do you have these skills? Tell me about when you did this, right? Make it easier from the get-go. And yes, Mm -hmm. make the basic requirements less, but then make it very clear. Hey, it'd be great if you had these things. That's another thing service members don't always understand, that they do not have to meet the preferred requirements. They just read through the requirements missing that line. But I've noticed some companies have started saying instead of preferred requirements, it would be wonderful if you had this. Sure. That makes it a little little clearer that that's a, a want or, or a wish, excuse me, not a, not a must have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I feel like, especially in contracting, you know, when program managers are having these conversations sort of outside of the technical statement of work, they, you know, hear these things from, you know, the, the government that, uh, okay, we need to include this in the job description. And it's like, well, recruiters should sometimes push back and say, you know, if it's not a must have, it could exclude so many passionate people that could actually do the job. And that's why we have a vacant billet because we're including way too many requirements. I completely agree. Yes, absolutely. Recruiters advocate for yourself. That's what we tell everybody, right? They should be doing it too. Sure. So, you know, going back to pipelines, that's great that you mentioned that, you know, service members probably have no idea what those are because they don't exist when you're in the military, but uh, any tools that you could note here that recruiters should be using to keep sort of those passive candidates engaged? Well, I'm a huge fan of marketing, as you know. So once I have a client come to me and I've done the training and I've introduced them, I've put them on my talent Tuesday, I don't always hear from them directly again. In other words, they don't necessarily make another appointment with me. But I do keep them engaged through social media because I am constantly putting things out that represent my brand and what I offer. My personal brand is to put out short videos. Other people might put out little tips and tricks of, for instance, how to reach out to a recruiter, how to follow up with a recruiter, how long is is you know too long to wait for a response or how soon can i ask without seeming needy uh, what i mean is how soon can i ask about a follow-up or you know you said you were going to do this on friday it's now monday how did things go we're not always sure again it's like dating if i if i message within 18 hours am i clingy am i needy am i going to get ghosted so my favorite tool is marketing, personal marketing, personal branding. Let people know that you are accessible and you are always there and put your personality into it, right? So you want to keep people engaged. You want to give them a reason that they want you in their network and why they want to be on your team. Show us how interesting you are, how interesting your company is, how happy you are at it the unique things that your company is doing, the unique things that you're doing. It's the same as personal branding. Show us why we want to be in your circle. I love that. And honestly, folks, some some people I feel like get a little stuffy and that comes from, you know, not really showing your personality. Share a meme every once in a while. I think 
Yes. Like that's great engagement. It makes people laugh and you're going to be, you know, memorable. I mean, just don't be afraid to get a little silly with it. I think, again, some folks are just stuffy and, you know, trying to maintain professionalism, which I totally understand, but sure. it's, it's okay to be a little silly sometimes. We hear, hear the term professional network and we think, okay, we need to be buttoned up. And like you said, we need to be stuffy. I shouldn't talk about anything personal. Well, but think about when you're at work. You definitely talk about personal stuff, even if it's just, you know, my, my cat ate a bug and threw up all over my couch. And, you know, so I'm a few minutes late, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. That's still something personal, but it's something, a, a glimpse into your life. People love to see that. So what I tell my clients is tell me about something personal, but bring it back to your brand and your why. So in other words, tell me a story, but then tell me about your company and what you're looking for and why you're looking for it and why you're passionate about this or, or whatever, well, the, the, the top things you hope your new teammate has, but you've started with something personal. You've let me know you're a human and I can treat you as a human, not an untouchable recruiter. Yes. Employer branding in such a tight passive labor market is so important. These were wonderful insights for both cleared candidates and honestly cleared recruiters. I think they could take, you know, some of the tips that we're always offering transitioning military and they need to use some of the, those tricks themselves. So Jennifer, I really appreciate you joining me today, but I wanted to give us a moment for any closing thoughts and maybe some, you know, industry pain points that you're aware of so far, just in all of your experience with candidates and, you know, some of those things that we can share with our recruiting audience. Well, I, I want to say that you're absolutely right, that most of what I train my service members and my spouses on can be reversed for recruiters. And it's interesting because when I train on personal branding, career marketing, and LinkedIn, it is based on what I have learned from my recruiting buddies and I've reversed it. So in other words, I'm training my clients how to get into the mindset of a recruiter. How does a recruiter look for me? So the opposite is also true. How is a candidate looking for me from the, from the mind of a recruiter, right? So we just reverse it again and the recruiter needs to get in the mindset of their target, right? The transitioning service member, the military spouse, the cleared talent. The thing is that we're all overwhelmed in transition. We need clear goals. We need a mission we can get behind. We need people we can trust. And we need job descriptions that don't require translation. I can't say it enough that I am a huge supporter of the best way you can do this is show me who you are on social media, but be accessible to me, right? Don't become one of the personalities that I can't get to, or, you know, I, I know I won't get a response from. It doesn't have to be a, a phone call. It doesn't have to be a long response or an essay or, or a resume review or anything like that. Just a little something to let me know you acknowledge me, that you value that I've put something into your post or I've sent you a message, you know, thank you for sending me a message. It's something small. It's the same thing I tell my clients, treat people as humans, show them a little bit of what you need, but also what you can do to help them. Lovely. 
Well, that was a ton of tips on ghosting, how to avoid it, how recruiters can combat today's staffing challenges by getting into the minds of these cleared, this cleared talent and service members transitioning out of the military. So for more information on the military transition or cleared recruiting, you can visit news.clearedjobs.com.